welcome back to the Aldi Mummy and Me series podcast. This episode, I'll be chatting to my friend Sarah Kearns, who is also an ICU nurse. She's trained in midwifery and she has her own company, Baseline, which she teaches people how to do basic CPR and first aid. So we met a couple of years ago at the Montessori Gates and uh, I did know from early on that we would be friends because I knew I would have to steal you as a mate. Um, Just a ray of sunshine, usually coming around the corner with a buggy in leopard print and glitter. I was like, (laughs) yes, please. Um, But you, so not only are you a mate and that's why we're here chatting because I did promise the listeners that we would have actual experts and you are an actual expert because you are (laughs) an expert in glitter and being fun and being deadly in leopard print but also you are a nurse and a midwife. You've been a midwife. Um, and uh, tell us all your 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 qualifications. So oh. tell the listeners. Tell us about yourself, Sarah. Well, when I'm not dressing myself in le- leopard print, <laughs> when is that? And, and my neon nails. Yes, uh, I'm an ICU nurse. I, I work in Vincent's ICU, and that's what I've been doing for the last four years. And before that, then I worked in emergency department. I've always worked in emergency. Funny, since I qualified, I think qualified by 15 years ago. No, not that much. 14 years ago. I've always worked in emergency, always loved it. And then I worked in emergency in Australia. And when I got home, with you know, remember that moratorium was, remember there was absolutely no hiring of staff at all. It was bonkers. I got home from Australia, but I got the opportunity to train as a midwife. But then we qualified as midwives and then there was no jobs. So I think about a How? third of my I mean, class. surely people were still having babies. They, 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 across the board, the HSC just said that they weren't hiring. They didn't have enough money. And oh so there was about a third, about a third of our class did stay on and they were kind of given contracts after we qualified for like a couple of months. And actually, when I started thinking about it, when I qualified, I loved midwifery. I'm a better nurse than a midwife. Why? Isn't it? I absolutely love older people. I love nursing older people. Oh my God. It's well, actually, here, you've nursed my dad um, a couple, couple of, of times <laughs> over the years, over the years when he was in and out of hospital and needed help. And I actually, when I got to know you, I because dad has a good sense of humour as well, I was so happy that you, when you, when mum would say, Aunt Sarah was in, because we know cousins of friends and all that kind of thing. I was like, yes, I know he's getting the crack because he loves getting people in and having the, <laughs> the banter. So I was like, yeah, he's in, he's in, he's in good hands. And your mum would be mainly focused on giving out about all your cursing in your books. <laughs> you had one book out and she's like, I mean, I told her. She doesn't need to say the effort that many times. Like Sandy, furious. I love it. Um, but I, I kind of wanted the episode today to be a celebration of nurses and midwives because I honestly think that you are the, well, you are the sung and unsung heroes of the world and also of the last, the last, the last style pandemic. Like I, every time I have a baby, it's like I have 15 of them, but I do leave going I, an emotional attachment that I, I want to become a midwife and then I realised yeah. that I can't go back to retrain yeah. that a newborn to mind. And also I don't think I would be probably very good at it. Um, but I just, the, the glory and admiration that I have for nurses and midwives is I just think you're incredibly special humans and I think you have to deal, you deal with so much for sometimes very little and I do, you, you're just, I think, the most special people out there. I really do. Well, I'm so glad. that It is a positive, I think, that came out of the pandemic. So it's only 18, how long ago is it? 18 months ago because I know it was cold. So it might be a bit more than that, that we were marching. We were on the picket line and we yeah. were just saying, you know, fighting for just better working conditions, better pay, just better, a better life overall. Yeah. And we're on the picket lines. And then, we didn't really get much from from that, um, like yeah. Like what slight, came out of that? Like slight pay incentives. 
Oh really not much change. They brought some, actually what they brought it in, which was quite good for the, particularly with the younger nurses and the newer qualified nurses that they got better pay deals and all that sort of stuff. But like, it, it's that, it feels such a weird scenario that you'd have us on the picket line, right? And then not much came out of that. And literally within months, we are absolutely horsed into this pandemic. Like that was absolutely unbelievable. When COVID hit, it, nurses became these absolute heroes. All of a sudden, we went from on the picket line within a year to being just, it was such a weird time to be a nurse as well. Because, well, I have type 1 diabetes, so my team are absolutely incredible. Like, I'm so privileged to work in Vincent's ICU. It's probably the best run unit I've ever worked. Like, it's, it's astoundingly good and the girls are amazing. Like, whenever possible, I wasn't nursing COVID. Like, you were really looked after each other. I thought that was amazing. But you went from sort of, it was such a weird time. You were half hero, half pariah. And actually, it hurt me quite a lot. There was people in my life that literally wouldn't come into the my through my front gate because you were working in a hospital. Because I was working in a hospital that infected. I could give them COVID. Oh my so you went, but it, the most amazing experience I've ever had cycling home from Anna, up Anna Village. People were out in the gardens. They clapped me the whole way home on my bike. I remember you telling me. Oh that. my god! Like, and they wouldn't have known I was an ICU nurse. They were just out, and I was. Maybe just they just love the leopard print <laughs> yeah, and, the, and the red bike. The, <laughs> she looks yeah, amazing. the leopard print helmet. <laughs> but like being a nurse is an extraordinary job. You're. The pay really is such an issue. Like I, my, you know, my childminder gets paid a kind of more than me actually through the jigs and rails when I'm in work during the week. So your work can't pay even pay what, what no. somebody to to mind your kids for you to to allow you to go to work. Yeah, and like it's not to underestimate what it is to look after somebody's kids. Like that is immense stress and responsibility, and it's not it's not. But it, just to even focus in on nursing, like I'm. F- nearly 15 years qualified. And I was talking to the girls, I was at this wedding at the weekend with all the girls um, that I trained with, about five, six of us that I trained with as, as um, a midwife with. And they were all saying the exact same thing. So we have to then, so we go to work during the week and then we have to work weekends or try and whatever, make up money to make it actually worthwhile going to work. But actually, the, through the jigs and the reels, it's actually probably not worth my while going to work, financially speaking. That seems absolutely crazy when yeah. you when anybody who's been sick or anybody who's needed help for you know it, whether it's a midwife or you've been in hospital and because we have we've spoken about it before it's not even the medical care and attention it is the counselling it's the care for the extended family so you yeah. are you are counsellor for f- families who are going through who who have a loved one who's sick um, and even through I know through COVID you, like every all the care that you gave to people in there you know and it's the small things the, the human things that mean so much to people like washing somebody's hair brushing somebody's yeah. hair who's really and that's, that's brushing extra, somebody's teeth but brushing somebody's teeth and the, the extra t- oh yeah. it is basics and my dad was in hospital before and um, I was on the phone to him and he had said this it's this it's this is the the core substance of what I'm trying trying to articulate really badly is how special and the stuff that goes unseen so dad my dad loves drawing and painting and like it's kind of his his outlet and his way to express and it kind of I think nearly calms him as well when he has nothing really else to do and he's mm. not well um, and he was chatting away to one of the nurses and got like really pally with her and you know the chat loved the chats and the and the and the c- companionship as well in there yeah. that you that you know you offer as well as your busy day trying to get everything else done and he didn't have anything with him I couldn't drop anything in because that was a stage where you were not allowed to go near the hospitals even drop anything everyone was just so worried and so How afraid is that though to be it's so lonely but she went out and bought him a sketch pad and pencils and and, and as you're talking about but also as you're saying with the pay and it went out I I was so 
blown away by that and just the kindness and compassion yeah. and it's it's every facet of that it's the like I said you know the the medical care you're giving people the companionship and everything else and, and people are as you said lonely they're scared they're vulnerable so you're ever, everything you're everything you're sort of like I remember hearing this in college and I thought it was such a good description so you're sort of like when you're a nurse you're sort of like the mum of the family okay so you're going in you are in charge of this patient I don't even like saying that that but you're looking after this yeah. patient but you're in charge of and you're facilitating them eating, going to the toilet, like all of their activities of daily living. So having them having a wash, having a shower, having a bath, you might have to give them a bed bath. All, you look after every facet of their lives when they're in there, right up to their medical care. Are they going for this test? Oh, they're going for this test, then you can't eat. You know, oh, they've had this test, now they can eat. This constant moving all day just to really look after someone. Like they don't have, you know, sometimes patients wouldn't have their teeth brushed because you haven't got to that yet or you know everything from their medications and you're really the mum of the family you're looking after everything the nursing is such a busy job it is so busy we're I so under resourced it's absolutely extraordinary but also in covid then you had the treble fold quadruple fold of mostly patients would have family coming in and out and maybe might be able to facilitate some of that whereas people aren't allowed in so not only are you working in a crazy stressful environment where people are really worried all of the gear as well oh, when yeah. you've got a 12 hour shift and you're probably <gasps> boiling and then nobody else can come in to help even you know like you know maybe go look I'll brush my mum's yeah, hair or, or I'll, I'll yeah you know paint her you know there's paint her nails or give her some you know give her some sort of comfort it, Covid was such a, a bizarre time so when people Patients were extremely sick. Uh, relatives were allowed in. But then we were faced with scenarios on a regular basis. Do you remember when being a close contact was was when when we were the virus was absolutely rampant okay so you might have somebody and they might be dying and one of their relatives might have been a close contact and being in isolation and they couldn't come in and see as their relatives dying and that was across now that was across everywhere this was Ireland UK this was across the board and, and then trying to keep we had no vaccine at that stage and then when it came to the PPE, it was an extraordinary thing. So we would have classes of how to put on PPE. Putting on PPE, you had to have the absolute wits about you. You had to put on the mask a certain way and everything was in sort of this rhythmic thing of putting. If you messed up one stage, you could contaminate your face. And if you touch your face, then COVID. Like it was what were you wearing? What was the PPE? So you'd, you'd be basically wearing this long gown that you're your wrists were covered. You'd often have double gloves, but a single pair of gloves, but it, everything was totally covered. So you'd be right up to your neck. You'd wear these really heavy duty, you know, the the masks. And your the girls were going around and they had these things called duoderms on their nose trying to protect the skin on their nose. Like the girls' faces were so sore. Then you'd have your head covered, your hair covered with a hairnet and you were wearing goggles. And with, that had to go on in a certain way, right? So you had to start with certain parts and but then you had to reverse. If you took off your just say your goggles on your face without taking off your gloves, you could contaminate now your face. Do you know what I mean? So it had to be this rigmency, you had to be on it. And that was then you had to go gobble your lunch then get back into PPE and go back in. Like it was extraordinary. Patients then were so sick. What uh, There's a couple of things that kind of got, got me like there's a girl, Neve, that I work with who I absolutely adore. She, she probably knows more about rugby than Brian. <laughs> that I remember her saying that she was going home. She was absolutely terrified of infecting her family. The amount of time that she had to spend on her own. Or, you know, that was that was across the board. I just, that being half hero, half prior, people were so 
my mum was so proud of me, but Jesus, she was so scared as well. But I never, Sarah, just when you say it there, like, so for me, as much as I, you feel like you have an appreciation, there's no way that we have an understanding. So for me, I just see you at the cold face, right? I see you in my head, working in the hospital and how stressful that is. But I never really kind of considered, actually, your your mum. Yeah. Letting you go in in the yeah. middle of an unknown when yeah. everyone was really afraid, and you're you're in the middle of it, and with the you know right right where the sickest people are going to go, yeah. like even that, even like the sacrifice that you you know give of yourself to help other people, like I I feel I just feel as a, a nation and beyond that we we have such a debt of gratitude that needs to kind of go beyond the clap. Like yeah, the clap is yeah, great sure. because it's moral support, but it kind of, it does need to be reflected. And it's funny we talk about mum. Honestly, every, like it, she, she does it so often. I'll get a call from her and it could be anything, could be random, but like so often she's, around, she's like, the next time the nurses are picking, <laughs> the next time they're striking, we're there. And I, she's like, I will go and I'm going to make all the, like there needs to be something more than us going, yeah, isn't, isn't it mad that not more supported? Yeah. But, like, what can we do? Is there anything that we can do? Is it support when the when things are happening or is it just highlighting it? It's just people just being, I suppose, grateful towards nurses. Nurses are an extraordinary bunch. Like, I just have so, I've, I'm really proud to be a nurse. And I was saying that to you earlier on, that it's the thing about nursing is that I remember saying that in my graduation when I was, when I was graduating from the Adelaide, well, up in Tala, but they were saying... Um, you'll always be a nurse. It's funny, on your deathbed, they'll be like, that's Sarah, she was a nurse. Like, you'll always be a nurse. It's kind of who you are. It's a, it is a vocation. I, even though I don't want to use that word because we are so highly educated. I know, it's like, not like you've gotten to know what I'm just a really thing. caring person. I'll yeah, do it, I'll no just problem. do that job. <laughs> like, it's absolutely extraordinary. It's the CPD, the constant, like the nurses are so highly motivated people, predominantly women. There is obviously loads of male nurses, predominantly women. We're highly motivated, oftentimes mothers, super busy in their normal lives. Yeah. But it's, it is a job that kind of keeps sucking in. You won't as regularly meet a nurse that isn't full stop isn't working they usually have their toe in, the, toe in the water a little bit so they might be doing a bit here and there just well, keep the skills up Well you've got a bit up. on the side don't oh. you say that we'll talk about in a while not sorry Rob her husband not, we're not talking about anything else. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah, it's work stuff yeah, her bit yeah. on the side is a very important thing that we will get to talk about actually now that you say it do you know any Male mid, yeah, there is a couple. Are they called a midwife? Midwife. Are they I know, yeah, called a midwife. Like, a mid. Yeah, so Mikey's a male midwife. Yeah, but he's. I know he's. He's just. He he's working in fertility now. There's a couple of them. There's. Um, they'd often work in theatre, but women love them. What was the name? I can't remember. There was a male midwife in the rotunda when, who gave us lectures on male urology. Funnily enough, he was. I can't remember his name. Huge big man. Apparently, women loved him apparently as in they would be they'd be like is he on duty Aww. when they're in labour because he was so kind Aww, he was that's so what kind you need. and it, apparently they absolutely loved him he was just so empathetic to these poor women in labour and apparently unbelievably popular all you need i think in that moment when you're so scared and vulnerable and even if you know what's <laughs> what's happening because i've told you before even on my third i tried to convince one of the midwives that my contractions were probably was probably food poisoning <laughs> I don't. Do you think I could go home? No, Amy, you're in. You're in labour. But she was so kind. She could. It was the end of her shift, and I know it was because they're having they're having a little thing in the ward because one of the midwives was moving down the country, and they're having a thing, and I was yeah. so excited for them because I was like, what, "What's the plan? Tell me everything." I was like, "Because I might, I'll probably be gone home," and they were just like, "So you're not going home." <laughs> 
you're having your baby. I was like, that's real, sure, that's sure, sure. I've heard that before and it's happened before. But um, they were just so, I, I, I often think with midwives as well, like how often are you asked the same stuff, the same questions? You must hear, have heard the same questions a billion times a day, but with, to still treat everyone with the same respect and patience and kindness it, like and pretend it's the first time you've ever been asked, yeah. is it going to hurt? Or all those kind of things. It's just, what are the things would you advise or where would you like recommend? An antenatal class for sure. Yeah. And and then there's an amazing book Clemmy Hopper is her name. She has the best book. She's a uh, practicing midwife. I think she's in King's Hospital in London. Absolutely brilliant. Her book is so practical. She's four kids. She's absolutely brilliant. Get Clemmy Hopper book. Is that Clemmy. about pregnancy or labour? Um, pregnancy, everything. Oh. Yeah, but about pregnancy in particular. So you kind of know, and then labour and all gives really practical tips like that because she's like practicing. She works one day a week. She probably works more now, but one day a week. So she, her Clemmy Hopper's book, absolutely brilliant. I think, I can't remember how to have a baby. I think it's something like that. Brilliant. And then the other thing is my brother-in-law is about to have a baby. His wife is in August. And he was saying that he's never changed a nappy. Uh, he has, oh, I've produced all these nieces and nephews for him and somehow he's dodged that. <laughs> I, I don't know if many people have before yeah. they have their kids, especially men. Especially like, men. And as you can't go around asking people have. to, you know, can I, have a, can I have a go? How do you put this? Stra- you give know, us a the, go with that. Give it a go. And, and <laughs> so my brother was saying that there's actually quite good YouTubes. I know that sounds absolutely bonkers. So have a look at that. But just as much prep as possible. And then things like hypnobirthing are amazing and then doing yoga because yoga is all about the breathing. So that's what I definitely recommend a really good antenatal class yeah. then a really good book Clemmy Hopper's is the best for sure um, and then just educate yourself to. but that's where it comes to having a birth plan versus it, there's a bit some, some midwives would say to you don't have too stringent of a birth plan, plan because it can it, you're just too, putting too much pressure on yourself if you can relax into labour as much as you can which is hard but you know it might just go a little bit smoother so having just a, not, a little bit of knowledge there but not too much have a birth plan of things and focus a bit more on what you might like to have yeah. whether it's dimmer lights or you yeah. know, music do you like listen do you like listen do you want your audible do you want to wear earphones Tune. whatever yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and then uh, like motivational pushing music <laughs> do you know <laughs> and then if you have preferences if, if you're very anxious about having a section having a, um, an episiotomy an instrumental delivery or whatever speak to your midwife Trash it out when you're pregnant. So you're not distracted. So you're not in the labour room and these things are happening. You're like, what does that mean? And yeah, just being as prepared as possible. But but just don't focus too much on what you don't want in labour. Right. Focus more on what you do want and then thrash out things that you're a bit nervous of when you're pregnant. It's good advice yeah. for life. Yeah. Conversely, I have a little tip that's probably very not even helpful but I remember after I'd had my first I, and I know I bang on about her so much because I love her, Amy Poehler. Her book uh, Yes Please was like a memoirs and stuff. She has a, it just reminds me of that, she has a chapter about her birth plan. <laughs> It is one of the funniest things I have ever read. It was basically her, like in a co- comedy sense, had written out what her, what she wanted yeah. going in and then what happened. So actually, if you want something funny, do look at that and go, OK, actually, do you know what? You're not going to be able to control everything Listen. because that's going to be the case as well. Yeah. And there'll be things, sometimes things happen and, you know, medical intervention needs to come. Yeah. So uh, all those things. But I think, yeah, the more you know, the more you know what could change and everything, because I think it's the, the fear of the unknown holds so many yeah. back and it like, makes you so scared at the there moment. Is an element of you not being able to control. They say yeah. that the baby decides when, like, you can't even. There's nothing. They don't even. They're still doing that. Yeah. Do you know, the baby will decide when they go into when you go into. You know everything. So much of it out of your control. So control what you can. Yeah. 
So what we're going to go, what we're going to chat about now, because this is really, um, this will be really, really helpful to so many mums. So Sarah, you obviously are a nurse and you've trained as a midwife. You, last year, tell us about that you're a bit on the side. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So October 2019, I was just driving to a, actually a, a, a mummy boot camp thing <laughs> and I saw this man on the side of the road on Parmiston Road and um, oh he's such a gentleman oh my goodness I saved a good one oh. um, but I saw him and I just like he this isn't right obviously he was lying on his back so I pulled in the car and I just recognised I kind of knew instantly that he was extremely unwell called an ambulance kind of just did at a quick like hello can you hear me I, and then I recognised he was in cardiac arrest and I started doing CPR on him and I did it for 24 minutes and 10 seconds and I had some brilliant people I saw someone come out of Palmerston Park and we got the ambulance the ambulance took ages to come because I didn't have the we, we didn't have the air code off where we were so the Palmerston road splits between that in Temple Villas yes. but anyway so and then result- there's Palmerston which yeah. I know that can confuse as well yeah. and that's a completely different part of Dublin and that's the, our ambulance apparently was sent to that part of Dublin. So anyway, 24 minutes, 10 seconds, he made a full recovery. The ambulance arrived and um, they basically used the defibrillator on, gave him a shock and he was back in normal science rather than what we call. So he was so he was actually conscious, awake and chatting by the time he hit the canal within the ambulance. That's so amazing. That is incredible. And yeah. also to do CPR for 24 minutes is incredibly inc- physical, oh, is it, isn't it? It's extraordinary. I got help at one stage very briefly by this uh, fabulous woman who was passing and she did about two minutes off it and then I got back on the chest. I was actually I was actually okay. You have so much adrenaline going through you. Of course. And of course it takes over. So after that, so I got to know him. His name's Ted O'Neill. Absolute gentleman. He doesn't mind me even saying his name. He's just so gorgeous. I got to know his family. He's got three kids. He's a gorgeous wife, Gronia. Like he's just the nicest Again, man. Again, that's something that I can, nobody else can give to people. You, that man's family. <laughs> literally like angel, like a walking angel. I, was, I, I got lucky. It's funny that the stars just aligned um, for me. Like I was delayed leaving the house. I usually was to get to where I was going I usually would leave at 10 past 10 this was actually 10.21 when I was passed so I was delayed leaving the house it's funny that whatever serendipity whatever that you yeah. just that things just aligned that resulted in me leaving and also where he was lying on the ground there was a white van that had just pulled out and so, so if you the couldn't white have seen van him there, I wouldn't have seen him he would be dead there was no one else coming so Guy came out of Palmerston Park a couple of minutes later after I was I think I was doing I had the ambulance coming and my two year old in the back of the car. Oh my goodness, it was such a, it was a such an absolutely crazy morning. He made a full recovery and after that everyone kept asking me, Oh, will you show me how to do CPR? I actually have no idea. So yeah. then um it transpired that when I, when I went to meet Ted when he was at home, he said it's funny, he said, I'm involved in a business that sells AEDs with the defibrillators. No way. And I was like, I, I don't know, know that. this one guy. And I was like it's not Dave Gravel, is it? Because I trained with his sister as a nurse. And he's like, yeah. So it transpired. I knew his business partner, everything. So he actually gifted me four mannequins and a tra- two training AEDs. Oh my goodness. And he said, you need to go and teach people how to do CPR. So there started my little company called Baseline First Aid, Baseline Killian and Work helped me pick that name. So Baseline is just starting point. Yeah. So I started this first aid Training. I trained as a CPR instructor then. I went and got all qualified um, quite shortly after that. So I started doing all my courses in November and this only happened in October. Yeah, it took off quickly. It took off quickly. So that was brilliant. So um, I trained and it's funny, what my absolute, I do loads of different first aid courses now. So I do them in companies, um, for groups and families, whatever, and families. expectant mums as well. Expect, what I absolutely love doing is the paediatric ones. So because I'm a mum of three 
what I keep saying, like I keep bringing it back to just being practical. So when when I keep saying to people, what I did that day with Ted wasn't anything fancy. So I just what did chest the, what compressions. The, so chest compressions. So a couple of things that were the, the reason. Is it the finger thing to see for, where for the, the ribs are? So if you're talking us through that. Well, I tell you what, first things first, recognising. It's all about recognising someone's unwell, okay? So you have to have a look at somebody, see if, and if you're like, they do not look well. If somebody's unconscious, it's not normal. If they're if they're discoloured, if they don't look like they're breathing. And that's what he, you just recognising someone's unwell you know, calling ambulance. Hello, see if they're conscious. Grab them by the shoulders, give them a really good shake. Hello, hello, can you hear me? See if they're conscious or not and see if they make, is there any signs of life? Call an ambulance. Put your phone on speaker. Put that is on speaker so important and put it down somebody beside Somebody talks you, you through, which I didn't, know, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. I I had known Kind of, in theory, I had known, but I'd never called an ambulance before. So when you call an ambulance, they dispatch an ambulance, but somebody stays on the line to talk to, to you to through. To talk you through. Okay. This kind of paramedic, and they, and they have this algorithm, that they and they basically are saying, now you need to check and see if they're breathing. So they're like, they tell you what to do. And so I had the phone on speaker, this person supporting me the whole way through, and I was just doing, I did the CPR. But So Art Heart Foundation are doing this thing. They, they did say, you know, putting your hand in the right um, position. But what the actually the Heart, Heart, Heart Foundation are saying is, but don't overthink it. Put your hands in the centre of somebody's chest. Get up at 90 degrees. So bring your knees quite close into them. Put your hands, straighten your arms is really important because all the movement comes from your body. You won't get as tired. Hands in the centre of your chest and push hard and push fast. Yeah, hard, people just sometimes don't press hard enough. Yeah, and you want to go down about, but it, it doesn't matter. matter. It yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. matter. The person, I broke, um, Ted was quite sore after I did, but he didn't mind because... He, he was saved alive. His life. Yeah. And imagine he was like, oh, Sarah, sorry, sorry yeah. a bit of rib bruising. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry about that, Ted. I think I got a little coil on <laughs> literally alive. So, do, so phone on speaker 999 112. Yeah. Tell them that you have somebody in cardiac, you think there's somebody in cardiac arrest. Now, they'll talk you through how to assess somebody and starting CPR. Just always start CPR. Oh, it doesn't matter. It, and CPR is that the same is so with, a ki- with a kid? If you think a kid is unconscious, always call an ambulance. Someone unconscious, if somebody's lying there unconscious, always call an ambulance because they're in danger of, you know, it's not normal to be unconscious. But you, hello, hello, can you hear me? So a baby, you'd smack the bottom of their foot, one or under. And then for older children, you'd shake their shoulders a bit and just see, hello, can you hear me? You, adrenaline. So sma- with a baby, you smack their foot to see if there's any response. response. And see if there's any signs of life. See if there's any, any response to you. Do they start opening their eyes? Do they make any sort of recognition of you being there. Is it true as well? I remember, I don't know if this is like urban myth that to sh- to, if a baby is unresponsive to shock them with cold water. Is that a thing? No, what you do is generally, generally speaking, you need to see if they're breathing or not. Now with COVID, they're saying give no breaths as well. That's an important thing. That's interesting. So when, well, the babies are different, but with adults. So if you come across somebody that's unresponsive, Okay, you look for signs of life. Have a look and see if there's any rise and fall of the chest or the belly. Often it's the belly that's moving a little bit more, but any sort of rise and fall, any normal breathing, is it abnormal? Are they gasping? Right, but you look for signs of life. Look and see if they're breathing. If they're unresponsive and they're not breathing, their heart has already stopped or it's going to. It's not. It doesn't. If you're not breathing, you're not going to be able to stay alive. So you start CPR, and what they call it is bystander CPR now, and especially with COVID, you start doing your chest compressions and you do not stop till the ambulance arrives, and you you'll get so exhausted. If there's anyone there, you need to swap in and swap out. You don't stop until the ambulance arrives or the AD arrives. So you need to say, 
get me, you know, when you're calling the ambulance, if there's anyone around, try and find an AED with defibrillator. So you can go on rescue.ie or there's another one, just AED locator. And you just put, even Google it. You, often if you're actually away, that you'll, somebody local will know there's, it's outside the post office or whatever. Send somebody to get the defibrillator. And then you put, you follow. And this is the other important thing. If you're ever in that scenario, all you do, so you have the person on the other end of the phone nine at the emergency on services speaker. on speaker, right? Yeah. So you have them talking to you all the time, okay? And there can be someone else listening as well to them if there's a couple of you around swap in and out of CPR. When the defibrillator comes, they are designed for people with no medical training at all. All you do is take a breath and turn it on. It tells you exactly what to do. Okay. Yeah. And if you need to cut off clothes, have a look in the back of it. Often often speaking, there'll be, um, you know, big scissors or, um, you know, things that even for drying the chest if it's ra- raining. But just turn it on. Take a breath, turn it on and follow the prompts. So between the person on the phone and the defibrillator, you're kind of well supported. So just try and keep in a cool head actually is the is the key to it. And it's very hard because it's such an emotional time. And then for babies, it's very unusual for a baby to have a cardiac arrest. Generally speaking, it's a respiratory arrest because they, you know, it's it's um, far more likely. So what you do is for a baby, for one or under, you'd smack the bottom of their feet. You know, they're always grabbing their feet and everything. Yeah. So you give them a foot and a good old wallop and see if there's any recognition you could put a hand on their chest, put your ear down to them and just have a look, put them in the sniff, what we call the sniffing position for the small ones. Sniff the air there for me. You know, that neutral position yes, in your head. Yes, So you just straighten up their head and just see if there's any if any rise and fall, if they're breathing or not. You have to give five rescue breaths. Get an ambulance coming. Five rescue breaths. So you can put your whole mouth around their nose and their mouth. Or if, you're, if their nose and their mouth doesn't fit into your mouth, you can pinch the nose and give them five rescue breaths, just enough to see the chest literally rise and fall. Five rescue breaths and then you start chest compressions. If you're giving breaths to a baby or a child um, or adult, anyone, if you're going to be giving breaths, just say you know them, they're a family member. They're saying no breaths to somebody you don't know or somebody you might think is COVID, yeah, or you think is COVID. Or it's always a thing you're never... You never have to do anything. So if you don't know, the, you're not comfortable giving breaths, that's okay too. Chest compressions. Stick to chest compressions. That's okay. always okay. But for kids across the board, it's 30 compressions, give two breaths. Okay. 30 compressions, give two breaths. When you're giving breaths, don't overthink whether the air is going in or not. Give it a go. Give a breath. Sometimes they could, they could be choke, have choked and there could be something. So just give a breath, give a second breath, back in the chest, 30 compressions. For kids that are maybe one or under, you'd use two fingers, one between the nipple, yeah, um, nipples on the nipple line and one finger just below it and you use two fingers to push up and down. You need to push up and down about four centimetres. It's about a third of the chest. 30 compressions, go back, give two breaths. Then for children that are a bit older and or if your fingers get tired, you might have small hands, whatever. Yeah. Use one hand, straighten the arm, use the heel of one hand in the centre of their chest and just push down 30 times, give two breaths, 30 times to give two breaths. Okay. And you keep going to the AD rise. You can use, often in ADs when you open them up, they'll have kids pads, they'll have adults pads. You just follow the prompts. You can use adult pads on children. You can use it one in, in you know, the, the middle of the front of the chest and directly behind. So just have a look at the, the pads. They might have children's pads and then that's fine. That's up to about eight years old, about 24 kilos. But you can use adult pads on kids. So hello, hello, can you hear me? Bang the base of their foot or yeah. if they're a little bit older than that, shaking their shoulders. And if they are unresponsive and you see that they're not breathing, okay, so you can put your hand on the, on the chest to see if there's any movement. You want rhythmic movement. People in cardiac arrest can do this thing we call agonal breathing. So it's about four to six. It's really abnormal. It's kind of gasping. Ted was doing it. So that's why I knew 
that he was so unwell. You need to, you either, they, you want it to be rising and falling. Kids can breathe quite quickly anyway, but you want the rhythmic rise and fall of the chest for somebody breathing. But if they're doing this gasping, you can just take it that they're not breathing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, like, there was another, like, couple of things. So if, to run through them quickly, if a baby is choking, what, what's your first thing? Is it Heimlich or is it upside down? So it's upside down, along your, stick out leg, put them along your leg, belly down, head down. You want the gravity, hopefully, to pull it out and a good L back slap. Okay. And have a look after each wallop. This is for kind of one or under, okay? Have a look after each back slap and have a look and see if whatever it is has come out, okay? You never do a blind sweep. That's the main thing for kids choking. Because you can you push, can push it, it down. down. So the difference between choking, how do you even know if somebody's choking? You actually know because they're so distressed, they get red in the face, they start drooling, they're, they can't... So, Gagging is normal for kids. Where are for you know, especially weaning. when you when you're yeah, weaning, yeah. okay? And that's they're just testing the waters. Yeah. Their gag reflexes at the beginning uh, at the beginning of life at the front of your mouth it kind of migrates a bit. So to the where ours is, you know, our gag reflex is way down. Yeah. So they're always just testing the water. So gagging makes noise. And the reason gagging makes noise is because air can still pass the food and hit the voice box. Choking is silent. Okay. And that's the biggest thing. The power of a backslap is immense. Okay? Well, we always say to the kids as well, the older kids, if they are, you know, it, the, the, something that they yeah. go over and whack uh, us on the back. Yeah, absolutely. And point. So like just, you know, so you've got something that you've got to, and, and listen, they're the older ones, obviously you can't do yeah. it with the baby. But just so you've got kind of like an alert because you kind of know so that So are struggling. you choking? And people generally grab as you kind of think that it's not, they kind of grab their throat. Are you choking? And someone will give you an odd and grab the throat because that's where they feel that they're, blocked right so it's between the shoulder blades and if you can coordinate older children adults okay if they say yeah if you can coordinate them stand to the side of them get a good wide stance support the front of their body with just say your left arm and with your right hand give them back slaps between the shoulder blades heel the hand give them a good wallop but if you can coordinate them coughing at the same time as doing a back slap you, that's the best chance of getting something out. Never knew that. So encourage coughing, encourage coughing. If there, if it's sort of a mild choking scenario, encourage coughing as much as possible. But if you can coordinate a good cough and encourage a really good coughing and give it a backstop, then they call it abdominal thrust now. Get in behind somebody, wrap your arms around them, f- have a feel for their belly button. And it's the soft spot between the belly button and the bottom of the rib cage in that you put your you get make a fist with one of your hands and you cup it with the other and you basically pull in it's in a J movement where yes. you're trying to get in under the, the lungs you know the A of the diaphragm so in this J movement and you pull in and up in and up and you do that five times and constantly checking to see if that food if you can pull this food bolus out I know oh, it's terrifying so, so terrifying and then another thing with kids because kids of a certain age that are running around are obsessed with bashing their heads oh, off things concussion how, oh yeah how do you know your kid is concussed is it, is it that they puke so is that one of the golden signs? rules are how far do they fall? The NHS website is amazing. They have this uh, this traffic light system and it's really good. I actually print it out and bring it to first aid courses and I give to parents if they want it for their fridge. It's brilliant. So across the board, if somebody gets knocked out, they need to be seen by a doctor. If it's very serious, a hospital, because it's not normal for you to go unconscious. <laughs> but how are they after? How far do they fall is another thing. Did they fall higher than their own height? And that's why babies, what's the most common thing? Babies rolling off changing tables. Yeah. I don't have a changing table because it's the third child so I have a mat for the kitchen table. <laughs> yeah. <Same here. laughs> table Got home from hospital and my mum's like, good God, you've nothing, I literally nothing, I had a Moses basket. Yeah. 
I don't even Very think I have nappies. Like size one nappies and Chunky Monks was in three, size three. Anyway, disaster. But I had off changing tables because they're actually higher than normal tables. And also babies get busy when they're getting their nappies changed and they're rolling. And they're, It's yeah. always that week as well when they have jumped ahead and you think they don't move. Yeah. And then they do move. And you usually All find out sudden, by them rolling oh. off something. You're like, oh, oh so they rolling can roll off now. the side of a bed. So loads of different reasons. Right. How do you know? If they go unconscious, definitely under one, 100%, any de- decent fall for one or under, you need to you need to kind of think maybe a GP or whatever or if you're very very nervous absolutely always go with your gut how is the child after so if they've lost consciousness they need to go and see a doctor for sure um, and just it's even it's just the objective view so you go in just say just say they're, they're absolutely fine after and you decide to first port a call you're the GP the GP hasn't seen your house hasn't seen the change knows nothing about anything they're looking at this child so they have a look at their shine torch in their eyes they have a look for any injuries and they'll, they'll be able to assess the child completely based on how they are now that they're not listening to they listen to the story of course but they're making an objective assessment on the child so that's really important and if you are very nervous obviously in any so that that's the main thing. How are they after? Always, I honestly, I this is my absolute mantra in all the first aid courses I do. You are their parent. You know your child the best. And my children are so different. My oldest one doesn't really cry. My middle one definitely cries a lot. She just wants things done immediately. She's, She's absolutely right. me in a nutshell. <laughs> and then I have this unicorn baby who never cries. So you need to, you know your children best. And there is a, you know, on the Manchester triage, when you come into an emergency department, like, worried parent or guardian is actually a a triage category. So you can say, like, just say Esme, who's my middle one, fell out of a treehouse, okay, and I offered an hour later, so she's maybe had one vomit, she didn't lose consciousness, an hour later I offer a Nutella sandwich or a Cornetto and she says no. That's hospital. Like a mer- helicopter, go. <laughs> we're all right. We're right. This is a true emergency. So, yeah, so kind of just go with your gut. You know your child best. Do you know what also um, fascinates me is that like some ki- like you were saying, some kids are so stoic in those circumstances. Yeah. They'd cry like if they got a red jelly bean over a blue yeah. one, but they won't cry if their arm is broken. Yeah. So someone was telling me this recently, like that their kid's arm was broken and they didn't know. And so yeah. is, there a te- is there a test for the arm break? Is it something so what like they holding your do. hands out or something? Yeah, so firstly, it depends on the child. Okay, so what is a really good way, just say they fall in and their hand, we call it a foot, so fall on an outstretched hand, okay? So they think that they're just not using their hand as much. You could hold something, you know, for the really small ones, like... Um, a lollipop, hold a lollipop out in front of them and see do they reach out and try and grab it. That'd be a good indication because if they don't, you're like, okay, there's something. Again, hospital. Again, hospital immediately. (laughs) But one of the things is just say they're saying that they're, oh, my arm is sore and it can be quite hard to get out of a child where exactly their arm is sore or whatever. So what you can do is examine from the fingers up, just feel from the fingers all the way up to the shoulder and wait for them to say ow over the sore spot. Go up to the shoulder, but then come back down and see do they say ow at the same spot on the way back down again. And then you'll yeah, know. Yeah, and then you'll know, okay, so they're definitely sore here. Get them to move their fingers, see if... And then this is such a, a kind of a basic first aid thing, but it's so important. Compare like with like... If their ankle, they're, if you're like, oh, is that 
wrist a bit swollen or their foot a bit swollen, take off the shoes and socks and have a look, compare one foot against the other, compare one hand against the other. And that's for adults, that's for everybody. If their foot is twisted at 90 yeah, you'll degrees, know. you probably and need you can to compare Because some people have maybe wider ankles or th- whatever. So get them to compare like with like, compare right with the left and see, then you'll be able to see kind of clearly in front of you is there any swellings or bruising, is there any deformities, is a good way. And then the, the, the trick, I always, always, always have ice in my, I have nothing, I'm so terrible for it. I sell first aid co- kits and I don't ever have so with that, first aid. So you need to have a cooler thing in your yeah. freezer. But you know what's brilliant? It's a packet of peas. Yeah, brilliant. The reason because it moulds around the, so if they've hurt their knee, it kind of moulds around, the peas get softer quite quickly and they mould around the knee. I always think of that scene in Bridesmaids where um, Rebel Wilson has got the tattoo and it's infected and he's like, put peas, put peas and she's got, but they're open and she's just pouring <laughs> frozen. She's like, this is lovely. But um, ice is brilliant. So quick fire things. If a kid gets a burn, running cool water for 10 to 30 minutes. That's the absolute first aid. So there's, so if you think about burns, there's three, there's three different categories. So you have something that looks like a sunburn. So red, so the top layer of skin is burnt. Second, if they have blisters, it means that the burn is down to the second layer. Put them under running water. And the third layer is burnt down. It's a no pain. So if a burn is quite serious and the, but it's not sore, that's it. Could be a third degree burn. Either way, you need to go listen, get medical help. Yes. But the first aid is yeah. running cool water. Okay. But the reason is you want to cool down the burn. You want the heat to get out yeah. of the burn. So by cooling it down, you reduce the pain significantly. You're basically cooling down the area and washing away the heat down okay. the drain. Think of it like that. I actually have a tip, and I don't even know. Well, actually, it was from a doctor that if your kid has really bad nappy rash, I know that's not exactly first aid, but it's very sore. It's very oh. sore. Egg white put it on the nappy rash and then seal it with a hairdryer. Literally go like this. To, to like seal it. Because it's all protein on the yeah, skin. Yeah. And it does work wonders. Oh my god. I know, but I love the way you've set it up. The egg with the hair. Yeah, yeah the hairdryer. Hair um, okay, so we've gone through all of those. Is it? Is there any medical evidence that if you don't feel well, lemonade is going to help your stomach? <laughs> is it an Irish thing? Does it? I feel like it works. Does it work? Oh my god! I, it's high, basically your hydration. Sugar. Yes, yeah, and just sugar and hydration a bit better. When I was younger, there was a girl that was on my road that I became again a bit of an urban legend that she was cycling, came off her bike, and the top of her toe came off, and that she didn't want to tell her mum because she was like, "What was cycling where she wasn't meant to be?" And she stuck it back on with like a barrier cream, and she said her toe did grow. <laughs> so that, that so that wasn't true, but it is a great story. <laughs> I've thought about it so much. I was like, right, I'll have that stuff. I can stick. I can stick something they back can on. Be really sore, you know, falling off bike so and getting that road rash because you have all that grit and gravel in the cut. Like, but you know when you it out, it's gross. But also when you're a kid and you land on your palms, or also it was, you know, the way when if you're going too fast and you put out your foot, you could easily lose the top of it. We're cycling for dinner tonight. I feel like this is a premonition. This has been a long day. <laughs> yeah. Sarah can't get away from me. We're going for dinner this evening as well. What else do I have? I don't I, yeah, the lemonade. Um, um, see you at dinner tonight. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Sarah, so if anyone wants to check out um, your little bit on the side, Baseline, which is brilliant. And I'm, I know myself and our pals are going to come and you're going to tell us how to save lives. Another really good one is when your kids are of an age to remember your number, that's probably quite, and remember how, and know how to dial 999. So yeah. you, if you're the one in trouble that your kids can no, and help. Or turn your number into a rhyme if your kids, the other thing is, on your, see, we don't have house phones anymore. So on your fridge, make sure your air code is on your fridge. Mm. So if you give the ambulance your air code yeah. over on the 999 call, they can pin drop your house. So it's the quickest way. And, but that would mean, just say we're away on all these staycations and we're staying down this, like imagine trying to explain where an Airbnb is. No. So get the air code, which will come up on Google Maps anyway, when you pin drop where yes. you are. 
write it down. Just make sure that you have an idea of the air quote when you're away. Um, okay, listen, we're cycling into for dinner tonight. I hope our toes don't come off oh on the bike. I'll bring some barrier okay, Sarah, thank you so much. Thanks for having Bye. me. Bye. There's lots to love at Aldi, like being the most awarded supermarket at the National Parenting Product Awards with 22 awards, including goals for Mamiya Nappy Sacks, 99 cent. The Mamiya Organic Baby Food Range from 69 cent. Mamiya Air System Nappies from 2.79 and Mamiya Newborn Nappies 24 pack, just 1.39. Not yet using the Mamiya range? Definitely time for a change. <laughs> Aldi, every day amazing. Please stop everything you're doing and give a massive round of applause. Not that we will ever hear it, but I just want to imagine you guys doing it for my next guest, who is a brand new newborn poet. She started writing poems in the middle of a lockdown, which I'm slightly annoyed about because I didn't do anything except tidying my drawers and she became a full poet, got herself a new career and has written a brilliant book of poems called What Day Is It? Who Gives a Fuck? Which is brilliant. Please welcome stylist, brilliant human being, new poet and as she says herself, ma, Jan Breerton. Tell, tell us all the things that you are. Oh, well, I'm a mom. Yeah. And um, Very important. I'm a uh, 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 playground chaperone. Uh, I was a. I'm, I'm a high um, a homeschool dropout. <laughs> um, I'm a stylist, and uh, I'm like. Well, I was a bum wiper there, but I don't have to do that anymore, which is great because they do it themselves. The kids, I mean, not oh. anyone else. <laughs> um, my own. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, and a poet as well. It, I feel really weird about saying I'm a poet, but I write poems or rhymes. Or I was saying. I'm not really a poet. I I feel things. I'm a feeler, but I can't call myself a feeler. That's not right at all. So yeah, we'll stick on. I'm a poet. I love it. Yeah. You know when you have to fill out the, about those forms and when it's like a profession. Have you written poet? No, not feeler. Yet. You can't, definitely can't write feeler. Can't write feeler. No, no, <laughs> not on any form. There's no form that that's okay to write. So yeah, poet or rhymer. I was saying, are they rhymes or are they poems? But a uh, rhymer it sounds a bit. Uh, maybe I should just learn how to rap, and then I could say it was a rapper. I could kind of put them to. I think own being a poet. I just think that little. I, I, if I if I had a skill like that, I would be telling everyone in the supermarket, being like, guys, guys, sorry, so I'm just going to get out of the way there. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a poet. It just it sounds <laughs> like imagine. you've arrived. <laughs> it's like you've arrived. <laughs> but you're sense. only you're only like a a newborn poet, aren't you? Yeah, a poet and I didn't know. I'm an accidental poet is what I call myself. Yeah, like I'd never written a poem before. I'd never written before. I'd written like shopping lists and letters to teachers to say the kids are sick and um, I'd write things for work because I work as a stylist. And so you'd write things, but it would literally be, say what you see, it'd be like white v-neck t-shirt, you know, blue jeans and pink shoes. So it never rhymed. Um, but yeah, so I wrote my first poem at the end of January, the 28th of January, at about 10 past 11 at night. No, well, but it was at night. I was in bed and uh, I was really angry. Um, I was happy but angry inside. And anyway, I wrote it all out and it was it all came out. And that was my first poem. And then I kind of couldn't stop. And I've just kept on going. And then and now I have a book. It all just sounds really speedy, but it kind of was. So. I love uh, when I read that you turned to your husband um, and said, I think I wrote a poem. And he said, are you OK? He did, yeah. <laughs> like, I was in bed with my daughter. She was reading her book, Harry Potter or something, and I just was writing furiously. Um, and I actually said to her, I wrote, I just wrote a poem. And she was like, OK. And I like, kept reading her book and I got up and I ran downstairs and I was like, Austin. And he paused the TV and he looked at me and I said, I think I wrote a poem. And he was like, 
are you okay? I was like, I'm brilliant. I feel much better for writing it. Will I, would you like to read it? I was kind of handing him over the notebook. And he said, no, I think maybe you read it for me. So I read it to him. And then he said again, is everything okay? Are you okay? And I was like, I'm brilliant. I feel great. So yeah, it, it, it was like... Catharsis. Catharsis. Yeah. I, I think we should hear because I um I was sent your lovely book. We have the same literary agent. Faith sent it to me because I think you're really gonna you're gonna love this and I read it. And also, do you know what sometimes you know, when a book arrives and it's seven hundred pages, I'm like, I'm never gonna read that. Yeah. I because I have to listen to most books now on Audible. I just yeah. go to bed and I, I'm too tired. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so this was perfect <laughs> because it's it's like it it looks gorgeous. It's okay, small little chunks of poem. They're called poems. Let's call yeah. Them poems. yeah, we'll call them poems. <laughs> <laughs> of course we will and they're amazing poems but the the um, the name of the book is What Day Is It Who Gives a Fuck Beep <laughs> Actually I normally come at my own beep okay. and I forgot it today Do you know the, the fancy podcast they studios can, can beep it they can do everything or we can just fucking leave them in for fuck's sake Oh my god yeah. But I think we should read you should read the, your title poem um, of the book because this I think resonates with every single human being who was in lockdown um, at the time where it was a heaping shit show. Um, yeah. So what page are we on? What page are we on, Miss? Page eighteen. Page eighteen. <laughs> Take it away. Okay. What day is it? Who gives a fuck? I teach. I clean. I play. I cook. This lockdown is a fucking pain. Oh look! Fuck's sake! Here comes the rain. Another day, another park. I'm wishing it would just get dark. Please, no more fucking walks or yoga, baking or art with chalk. No meditation. Fuck cold sea dips and fuck your healthy eating tips. All I want is a fucking hug. A chat close up with a massive mug of tea. None of this takeout crap. I'd touch your hand, you'd slap my back. We'd laugh and talk. I'd share my cake. We'd talk about who we think is fake. We might say, fuck it, stay out late. We'd grab an early board at eight. We'd talk and chat and talk some more. We'd link as we walk out the door. On the bus, I'd text to say, my friend, I've had a lovely day. But fuck, what day is it? I don't have a fuck. I teach, I clean, I play, I cook. It's even better with you reading it. Oh, thanks. It's so, so, do you know what? It just strikes every nerve. I, in a weird way, I'm brought back to then. And it's do you even remember nearly, it? Yeah. Do I remember? Part of me has re- repressed it forever and just going, let's not go back there. Yeah. But you know what's so lovely about it is the levity in it. And it's getting that right because we needed a laugh. You know, at the beginning when everything was so serious, it's like, are we, are, can we laugh? Are we allowed to laugh? And then you realise you actually need to, to to get through what this shit show was. So I think the fun in that in being able to, you know, relate to that human experience and everybody had, you know, different experiences and it was so much harder on so, you know, so many Mm -hmm. people and we can only live our own truth and our own experience. So you never wrote, Jan. Like, did you, you, were you you into the old poems in school? No, I wasn't. Like, I really wasn't. Like, I, I genuinely think I was always really madly into music and I used to buy smash hits. I'm showing my age now, religiously. Loved smash, smash yeah. hits. Yeah. And so, like, all the, I don't know, like, they used to print out all the lyrics to all the songs because, like, I was terrible at forgetting them wrong. Like, and only recently I realised that, like, you know, that Michael Jackson song, Librarian Girl, was not about a librarian because <laughs> I genuinely thought it was. And so I'd guess smash hits and I'd learn off 
all the words. And and look, it's quite rhythmic and everything rhymed and it was the 80s and you know what I mean? So maybe that kind of was stuck in there. with me. Um, but then I was reminded by myself when I went home to my mum and dad's uh, a while ago, I used to write reviews of gigs that I went to when I was about 16 or 17. Oh. And... I know, actually, I, I used to arrive at a gig, I'd go on my own and I'd bring a notebook and a pen and I'd stand there pretending like I was writing a review. Now, I know part of it was probably to get boys because they'd be like, oh, look, she's some hotshot journalist. But I was like 15 or 16. Of course I wasn't. Um, but equally, it was probably because I was on my own and now I would just pick up a phone and send a text and you look like you're busy doing something. But somehow I brought this Jotter. notebook and Josher. It was literally like a little, you yeah. know. Um, so that would have been in my dreams. Maybe I was a journalist, you know, when I was 17 or, you know, 16, going to gigs. I thought I was a journalist. I wasn't necessarily writing anything. I was probably, you know, doodling or something. Um, but maybe it was the, so yeah, the, rhyme, was the rhyme in the <laughs> in, in smash hits. But when you started, did you, were you held by any rules for writing your poetry? Like, it wasn't like being in school going, iambic pentameter, whatever the heck that is. But like, did you stick to poetry rules? Or are you like, no, I'm just going to write what I want and some of it will rhyme, most of it, all of it will rhyme and it'll uh, be yeah, funny. Yeah, I think there's one poem in there that doesn't rhyme. and um, Which is wrecked that day. <laughs> Do you know what guy's been tired? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to rhyme this shit. Um, yeah, like, I, I mean, like, there's a, I don't think there was any rules, Amy. Like, I was just writing and I, I never really apply rules to me or my life or my right. kids. Even my kids are a bit free range as well, you know. Um, so, yeah, no, I didn't. They were all just feelings. And I, like I said, once I started and I was kind of cross and missing and frustrated then it was like okay what else then now there's school yeah homeschool that's crap and then what rhymes with crap yeah <laughs> um so yeah like it's this all just I was writing these poems myself there was one time I was in bed asleep I wasn't asleep my husband was asleep and my mind was kind of gone and I was thinking about something and um I was like oh my god I have to write a poem I think I need to write the poem my husband was asleep I was like oh god I better not wake him up so I kind of like reached over and I knew there was a pen beside the bed so I grabbed the pen and I was like I don't know if there's any paper around here and I got up went to the bathroom and wrote the poem on toilet paper uh, oh, because wow. I was like oh I gosh. have to I just have to get this out and um, very pandemic yeah, on the toilet totally. paper yeah yeah you would have been killed for that in early pandemic I know waste in toilet yeah, paper imagine. so how did it start so the, the poem what day is it how did that get into the world oh yeah well I I, I kind of typed it up then. This is the way I normally do I scribble things in a notebook and then I kind of type it up on my phone and then I look at it and I go, isn't that lovely? And anyway, so I sent it off to loads of friends, in, not loads, I mean a handful, a trusted few. I was saying like a handful of friends who I was like, listen, I'm really angry about everything. Yeah. Else. But, and I also miss you and everything else. Oh. Um, so I sent it to a few people and Roisin Ingle, uh, her kids are in my kids, uh, her daughters are in my daughter's class. And uh, I sent it to her. She was one of the mams. You know, you know yourself, it was like the mams, some of the mams from the WhatsApp group. You know, I was like, oh, she'll get it. I'll send Love it to her. Yeah. She's brilliant. <laughs> so, um, uh, so she was like, oh, can I share this on Twitter? I was like, yeah, go ahead. And then that was kind of it then. It just kind of went. Oh, and then it. the next day, like my cousin was like, here, I'm after getting your poem sent to me in a WhatsApp group from the Maz, from the GAA club or whatever. 
and your name's not on it. Like what sort? Like I didn't even put my name on it the first time I wrote it. I was like, do I have to put my name? Like Roisin was like, here, will you give me that again? Put your name on the end of it. And I was like, okay. Like when we were designing the book, like the designer was like, okay, so we'll put the picture here and da da da. And where will your name go? I was like, do I have to put my name on? Ah, like, Jan. Is that just an Jan. Irish thing? I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I wrote a book of brilliant poems. Okay, okay, I'll write my name. Put my name. <laughs> to it. Go, I'll write that. <laughs> Fine. Um, so yeah, so that was it then, and she just like Roisin got amazing feedback, and I got amazing feedback. And it was really nice, actually. You know, look, everyone kind of, it was nice. People saw the mischief in it. They didn't mind the course and they could get the feeling in it. Some people cried, some people laughed. You know, I find your poems really emotive. I really yeah, do. And I was yeah. reading through them last night and it's that, it's that, it's nearly like um, a little journey in each poem. But what was it like then? What has your world kind of changed? So you're going into the pandemic. You are, you're with the kids and you're, you know, you're working as a stylist when it's kind of worked around your schedule. And then you have a pandemic, you're home, you're homeschool, homeschooler dropout. Yeah. And now you're a poet. So what, what, what do you, what, what do I do now? What's going to happen? What, what yeah, happens now? It's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, look, it is. It's really exciting. It's funny. Uh, someone rang me about a styling job there a couple of weeks ago, and they were like, oh, "Are you? Are you? You're still styling, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "You're a stylist, aren't you?" I was like, "Yeah. I mean, I'm. I am. Uh, I, Jesus, I was like, I don't know what I am. I'll, I'll write you a poem, and I'll come and style your shoot and everything else." Um, yeah, look, it's just it's a lovely way for me to kind of. Exp- Express myself creatively, um, but it must be lovely to get to for other people to give you that feedback. To go, me too. I felt that too. I feel that too. Yeah. That's really lovely. Yeah, and and how isolating it was to be in a position to start writing that book. Yeah. But then the community that you get from that is that's kind of lovely. It's it's a real like a bonding thing. Yeah, I can imagine. Lovely. Yeah, it is really nice. And then also then the stuff there as well, just about like being a mom and yeah. being a woman and. You know, there's this poem, like, yeah, there's a big chunk of it that is relating to the whole COVID experience. And then there's some of it then just about being a parent and, and, and that kind of thing. Will like, you read us another drinking, a, another Drinking lots of wine oh, and, God, yeah. you know, that kind of jazz. Is um, there one that you that you would love to read about kind of parenting scenarios? Yeah, there's, there's two here. There's one called Say My Name. I'm which, on it, page 40. Page 40. And then the interview I like afterwards, because the interview was a real thing that happened when I was doing a reading and... It was at the beginning of my poetry experience and the woman who was introducing me on this, it was Think for International Women's Day and she was like, and your name is Jan and, and, you know, what are you? And I was like, um, I really didn't know what I was. Well, um, I'm a, I'm a mom. I was like, the only thing I'm really sure of what I am now is my age and the fact that I have two kids. Oh. So I was like, I'm a mom. And she was like, yeah, like, of course she was going, I can't introduce you on this arts festival as here's Jan, she's a man. I think that'd be brilliant. <laughs> but I was like, well, why not? Exactly. That's what I am. Um, so anyway, I'm proud of. Yeah, so I went through all of the different things that kind of was a response to that. I sound very arty when I say that. That's great. So I'll do Say My Name because it's about... Um, Destiny's it's Child. About, it's about losing your name. Say my name. Yeah. Say my name. <laughs> it's about losing your name. Okay, I yeah. love it. And still keeping your name and responding. Um, okay, Say My Name. Mother... Mammy, ma, I'm all of these three. Mom, mum, mummy, they also call me. Your mum will collect you, your mom's at the door. Thanks for dinner, mummy, can we please have some more? For God's sake, behave or I'll tell your mother. Let's just go, ma. No, wait for your brother. My first name's gone missing. I've searched each nook and cranny. There's no need for it now. I will answer to mammy. Oh... Isn't that that I love it, and it's so 
It's so true. Yeah. And I have loads and I'm sure you do the same. I have loads of other women's names in my phone. Someone's mum. Yeah. And it is. And actually the kids are okay because the kids, weirdly, back in the day, back in the 80s, I would have been called, you know, somebody, Mr. or Mrs. I don't know about your kids, but all my kids' friends just say Amy. I wouldn't be weird if they're like, Ms. 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 or Ms. Or Mrs. (laughs) (laughs) But um, they will call me my name, but I do the... Um, so so and so's mum, yeah. which is kind of you know, and, and I have them in my phone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sarah with this mum, that but dear yeah. to Brenda, Brenda of the mum. Yeah. But it it, it is, and it, and uh, that just what happened. I think when you start the school stuff, but yeah. uh, and it makes life it does make life easier. I won't remember who they are. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the interview. Oh yeah, the interview. I'll do that one for you, and then yeah, the interview. What am I? I said, getting it straight in my head. She stared at me deeply and blankly. I'm a woman, a mother, a friend, a childminder. I wished I had titles more swanky. I cook every day. My menu is vast, but I'm not a chef. Don't be so daft. I give lessons on life and correct all bad grammar, but I'm not a teacher. I don't have the manner. I care for the sick, kiss everything better, but I'm no Florence Nightingale. I never did get her. I clean top to bottom. I wear gloves and a visor, but I often miss spots. I'm no sanitary advisor. I wash five times a day, press anti-stain and I'm set. No one strips to their boxers in my laundrette. What am I? I have trouble giving you a straight answer. I'm an artist, a poet, a life freelancer. So go ahead, edit out all the roles you think are a bore. I'm all of these things and I'm so many more. So gorgeous. Uh-huh. I love it. Oh, thanks. Jan, you are just j- such a brilliant writer. I don't know if there's another poem you want to read to finish. or if- Amy, you read one. You pick your favourite. What, me as a performer? Go on. Um, the Lonely Biscuit is kind of good. And Leggings is good. Okay, love it. Okay, Leggings. We're going to read Leggings, which I massively identify with, but I don't think I was in any way as bendy as in this poem. <laughs> I was nine months pregnant. I could not even tie up my own hair. Okay. Leggings by Jan Brearden. My clothes have no buttons. My uniform is active wear with a full face of makeup and big blow dried hair. When I pull on my leggings, I feel twisty and bendy. My dress code by day, glam yoga class attendee. They're power high waisted, lift and sculpting my bum. No matter what day it is, I'm dressed, ready to run. Even though I admit I'm just off to the shops, I feel athletic and sporty buying wine by the box. I wore leggings for dinner, meatballs with spaghetti, changed into my blue ones for Pilates with Betty. Can you see my knickers? These ones are so stretchy. You're sure they're not see-through? The cheap ones are sketchy. It's years since I was a VIP at the gym. Now wearing my leggings, I feel sporty and trim. Every day of the week, there's no style evolution. I wear hoodie and leggings. My wardrobe solution. Oh, that was great. Do you know what that reminds me of? Did you, do, you, do you remember the Smack the Pony sketches? Oh, yeah. I love them. They yeah. had the whole active wear. She's yeah. wearing active wear. <laughs> yes. That should be replayed. Wearing active wear for no... For no reason. For no sporting reason. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jan, that was so oh, brilliant. Thanks. Thank you so much for, for coming in and chatting to me. And oh, the best of luck. Thank you for where having can we, me. Where can we get your book? In all good bookshops and online as well. Yeah, it's published by New Island Books and... Um, yeah, it's get it, share it, 
give it to friends. It's a great present. It's a lovely gift. And I know people who weirdly are preparing for Christmas already and have bought it as stocking fillers. So yeah, if you're who one of they? those, get it for who that. And if not, yeah, I don't know. Just get it yourself. They're not my friends, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I don't know these people. <laughs> not I my can't people. identify with them. Not my people. <laughs> are you going to write another book? Uh, oh God, I'd love to. I didn't start, I didn't set off to write a book, but I've got about another 20, 25 more poems. I've written one about Aldi as well, as you know. Um, so yeah. Woo woo. woo, woo. Um, you also so, yeah. dedicated a poem um, to, well, it probably oh, yeah, wasn't to, to me. You. No, it was to you. It's called That'll Be Its Name. If that's in the next book, that'll be its name. I've yeah, been not yeah. procrastinating about taking off my eye makeup, which yeah. is, takes up 30% of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Jan, thank you so much thank and you. all the best and wish you all the success. Oh, um, thank you so much. Being a poet, what a ledge. Thanks so much. Cheers, Bye-bye. Amy. Bye. Thank you so much, Jan. Um, I forced her to leave and go home and write another book of poems. And you can buy her book of poems, I think probably online, if you just Google it, you know, that old trick. Or you can buy it in all good bookstores. Thanks so much, Jan. Uh, if you want to book into Sarah's courses, uh, you can find her at baselinefirstaid.e, baselinefirstaid.e. She's also on Instagram. So that is baselinefirstaid on Instagram. Um, so check it out. And, you know, she is so much crack, honestly, that if you booked with a couple of friends and went together, um, you would learn loads. And I can guarantee it would be a really fun few hours as well. So... Thanks so much for listening in. You can send all your comments if they're positive to aldi.ie forward slash mamia. If you want to email us in your funny stories, we want to hear them. Parenting related, your mess ups, things you may have done differently. Maybe when you were a kid, odd parenting rituals and practices and lies we were told. Um, so email them in to aldi.ie forward slash mamia and you might win, a, might win a voucher for Aldi and you might get yourself a leaf blower or a chainsaw. Who knows what's in that middle aisle? Aldi is home to Mamiya, Ireland's favourite baby range and winner of 22 National Parenting Product Awards. Mamiya is also loved by maternity hospitals across Ireland, with Aldi having donated 65,000 nappies so far. The range includes nappies, extra-sensitive baby wipes, night pants and much more. And it's quality you can trust. It's even better than you were expecting, when you were expecting. (laughs) In-store and available on Click & Collect. Aldi. Every day amazing.